All right, everybody, another one is in the books. So it's time for me to react to it. The Seahawks improved to 7-5 today, a 27-23 victory over the Rams in Los Angeles. And the storyline of this game is obvious. Or is it? Geno Smith got a chance to lead the team down and get that game-winning drive that's to this point he has not had on his resume. He had that chance last week, twice actually, against the Raiders, once at the end of regulation, once in overtime, failed both times. He got that chance again today and he made it count. Geno Smith leading the Seahawks down with less than three minutes left in this game, throws an eight-yard touchdown to DK Metcalf for the game winner. The defense holds on and the Seahawks improve to seven and five on the season. Welcome into the Field Goals Podcast. I am Dan Viennes. And Gino wasn't the only storyline. This was a very, very strange game. And I'll go over some of those storylines in just a bit. But but I think that this is this is one of those Quentin Tarantino type scripted games where let's start at the end and then we're gonna roll it back to the beginning and kind of figure out how we got to the end. The Seahawks down three points with two minutes and 56 seconds left. And despite what Mark Sanchez said, he was doing color on the Fox broadcast, the Seahawks could not win it with a field goal by Jason Myers as they were down three points. I don't know if any of you guys caught that, but Mark Sanchez actually said uh, that they were trying to get into position for the game winner from, uh, from Jason Myers. Mark sounded a little tired at the end of this one. And maybe that's because he talks way too much, but that's a whole nother story for another time. Anyway, the Seahawks get the ball back with two minutes and 56 seconds left, down 23 to 20 at the Rams 35-yard line. They put together a 10-play, 75-yard drive, cap it with that eight-yard touchdown to DK Metcalf with 36 seconds left to take that 27 to 23 lead. They hold on to close it out. Cody Barton with the last play of the game gets the interception to finish it off. Barton's second interception in the last three games. And as a result, the Seahawks moved to 7-5. and They're still squarely in the hunt for an NFC playoff spot. And they still, despite what you think the gap might be between the 49ers and the Seahawks, and we're going to talk about that in a moment, because that, that storyline may have changed with something that happened on the field today for the 49ers. But they're just a game behind, not including the tiebreaker. They're just a game behind the 49ers with five to play. Um. But there were five or six key storylines in this game. Let me kind of take those one at a time. And the first one was injuries. This game from the outset had um, one of those uneasy feelings to it. Um, The Seahawks were down to one running back in this game before halftime. Tony Jones Jr., who was signed off the practice squad of the New Orleans Saints a few weeks ago, um, really was their only healthy running back for the most part in this one. Because, yeah, if you're just tuning in, Ken Walker Jr. got injured in the first quarter in this one. It's an ankle injury. He did not return to the game. Now, here's the thing. Uh, I listened to the beginning of Pete Carroll's postgame press conference, and it didn't sound, you know how Pete can be with injuries. It didn't sound like he was overly concerned. He said, you know, as they usually do, we'll have to take a look at it when we get back home. Um, But they worked on his, he never went into the blue tent, first of all. Trainers worked on him for about 10 minutes and that the on-field analyst was saying that they were trying different, they were trying different padding in his shoes, which would indicate to me it was a foot injury. But Pete Carroll 
they actually, when they ruled him out for the game, they said it was an ankle injury and Carol confirmed that after the game, that it's an ankle. So it sounds to me like it's a, it's a traditional ankle injury. It's not a high ankle injury. Those types that can keep you out for four to six weeks. So maybe there's some good news here. Um, but he wasn't able to return to the game. So then you're down to DJ Dallas. Well, Dallas got hurt, I think on the next drive and couldn't finish the first half. Now, DJ Dallas really gutted this game out. And there were times in the second half when he came back into the game, most of them on obvious passing downs where his ability as a pass protector could be used. But the Seahawks didn't shy away from handing the ball a couple of times in the second half as well. So Dallas wasn't 100%. But being down to just Tony Jones Jr., he really gutted it up. Um, neither of them really looked great on the stat sheet. But but Jones was admirable considering the, the lack of practice time. Very few snaps during the week, apparently. Uh, seven rushes, 14 yards, two catches, 18 yards. Um, but he ran hard and he had a, he, he had a, he had converted a first down at one point. Um, but it got kind of hairy there for a little bit. And at one point, Gino went down after, after getting sacked and Drew Locke was warming up on the sidelines in this game. I tweeted it out at the time. This game had really had, um, at Arizona vibes to it. You know, the history up until the last couple of years that of all the bizarre things that have happened in Arizona, of course, the most infamous game was the one in which Cam Chancellor and Earl Thomas both got hurt in what was the last game that either of them played for the Seahawks. Um, it had that kind of feel to it. Uh, but they were able to gut it out. No more major injuries throughout the rest of the game. And it did sound to me in the post-game press conference, like Carol was um, at least slightly optimistic that Walker's injury might not be severe. Uh, to me, the second weirdness, uh, the second storyline and kind of building off the thought that I just, I just introduced is just weirdness. It was a bizarre game. Uh, early on, this first of all, we know, if you listen to the show earlier this week with Jackson Bevins joining the podcast, um, this was a game that we felt, and I think uh, we certainly weren't alone, that the Seahawks needed to, coming off that disappointing loss to the Raiders, needed to come out and beat a team that was down. The Rams were decimated. The injuries, we know them all. Right, Matthew Stafford actually placed on injured reserve today. He will not be back. Eligible to come back with two weeks left in the season, but probably won't. It's being speculated that he is done for the year and, and really is going to be evaluating his career, it sounds like, with neck injuries and, and the concussion the uh, concussion issues that he's dealt with. Cooper Cup, out on injured reserve. Uh, Allen Robinson, out on injured reserve. Um, and then on defense, Aaron Donald. They're... they're outstanding interior defensive lineman out for this game and all the havoc he has wreaked upon the Seahawks in matchups over the last few years. You felt like you were getting this team when they were down. John Wolford starting at quarterback for them, Cam Akers in the backfield and, and Akers, you know, was a guy who was in the, in the doghouse this year with Sean McVay. They tried to trade him. They couldn't. And then they end up releasing Daryl Henderson. They have some other injuries. They have to go with Cam Akers, a decimated Rams roster to be sure. And yet, Seahawks win the toss. They defer to the second half. The Rams put together a drive on their first first drive of the game. 10 plays, 77 yards. Really great use of mixing the pass and the run. John Wolford and Cam Akers. Akers caps it with a one-yard touchdown run. So they take a 7-0 lead right there. The, the, that Seahawks defense appeared, once again, to be the defense of the first four weeks of the season and not the one 
that appeared to turn things around in the middle portion of the schedule. But the Seahawks came right back. That offense, as it has done so many times this year, when you think things are getting, the momentum is shifting to the other side, they put together a couple of good drives. Uh, they tied it at seven, a six-play, 75-yard drive, capped by a 36-yard touchdown pass from Geno Smith to Tyler Lockett, who had a good day. Um, and then the Rams jump out to a 10-7 lead. It kind of goes back and forth. The Seahawks put another drive together, 11 plays, 91 yards, Geno Smith to Noah Fant, Fant's first touchdown as a Seahawk. They take a 14-10 lead. It's 14-13 at the half. And then in the third quarter, that defense really put some things together. And Carol mentioned in uh, postgame that they made some of the most significant adjustments. I can't wait to dig into this later. Really significant adjustments with the defense uh, at halftime. They came out and it showed in the third quarter. A couple of three and outs by the Rams. And they only give up 45 yards in total offense to the Rams in that third quarter. And it felt like it was one of those games that the Seahawks led throughout most of the second half until the Rams took the lead uh, with three minutes left. It was one of those games that even though they led, it didn't feel like they were winning because of the injuries and because uh, some other things weren't really going their way. I'll touch on those in a minute. So the defense looked bad for the first half, improved in the second half. Uh, the pass rush showed up again. Uh, not in a huge way, four sacks for 19 yards, but after what we saw in the previous two weeks against Tampa Bay and the Raiders, much, much more, much, much better. Uh, Uchenna Nuosu had his first sack in three weeks and really looked like the player that we became accustomed to the first eight, nine weeks of the year. Uh, he was a consistent factor in this game. Uh, limited the Rams to four out of 12 on third downs. Carroll made, made that uh, point, uh, a point of emphasis in his postgame press conference as well. Uh, four out of 12 on third downs, limited them to 319 total yards, but big asterisk on that because 171 of those yards came on the ground. So the rushing defense, still a big issue for the Seahawks that'll have to be addressed as, as they move forward in these final five games. Uh, next storyline, <laughs> Bobby Wagner. Uh, you remember him? Uh, number 54 wearing number 45 now for the Rams. And listen, this was fun to watch. Um, love Bobby. Uh, I've got to meet him a couple times. A terrific guy. And, and one of the all-time great Seahawks, right? But I am on record as agreeing 100% with the decision to let him go. Um, the time was right for where this roster was and, and what this team was was trying to undertake in this offseason and, and and rebuilding a little bit. His salary just didn't justify his play on the field last year. Clearly not the physical specimen that he used to be. Um, but the Rams are using him differently. And, and when you hear things about how Bobby wasn't the same player last year and the Seahawks had to do some things schematically in order to make up for his weaknesses, Seahawks used him a lot more in coverage. And it appeared to me, watching it live, that the Rams just have Bobby doing what he does best at this point in his career, and that's moving forward and attacking the line of scrimmage in the run game and as a pass rusher, which the Seahawks would do from time to time, but the Rams kind of featured him in that role today. Bobby was seven tackles, three tackles for loss, two sacks, and an interception. I'll let Pete talk about the interception. This is Pete Carroll after the game on the performance by Bobby Wagner today. Yeah, let me do that for sure. No. Bobby played great today. He, uh, you know, he was a factor in the running game. 
uh, he had two sacks today. He gets a pick on a play that I'm still arguing about, and I can't wait to see him so I can argue to him too. Him tell me he didn't catch it. He's gonna tell me he did. Um, I was really, I'm really proud to, to tell you. He, he's been a great player in our program uh, for all those years. He'll always be, you know, one of our guys. And, and uh, but today to rise up like that and, and uh, to play like that um, is something he's gonna remember. And it was it was notable. Yeah, it was notable. Bobby Wagner was the best defensive player on the field for the Rams today. And that includes Jalen Ramsey. I'll get to him next. Uh, but it was really it was really cool to see Bobby doing that. There was a point in the third quarter, I thought this is a key point in the game, when uh, after the interception, which uh, what Pete's referring to there, if you haven't seen the replay, um, check it out. Really interesting ruling where uh, Gino tried to get the ball out in the flat to Tony Jones. And it looks like if you slow it down, it looked like he had control of the football and then was down, but he didn't complete the process of the catch. And as they were rolling over together, Bobby took the ball away for an interception. Um, And then on the sidelines, they cut to him on the sideline and he's got the whole team together on the sideline. Bobby does. And he's firing him up and he's, and he's, uh, he's giving him a pep talk. And it felt like that was a moment in the game when the Rams might've seized momentum. But the Seahawks defense stood up on the next drive, stopped him, and it really kind of evened things out after that. Now let's talk about Jalen Ramsey because that's my next storyline. DK Metcalf versus Jalen Ramsey. We've seen this before. We've seen Jalen get in DK's head, draw some penalties on him in their in their matchups the last couple of years, and we've seen DK get in Jalen's head too. Uh, and today that happened. DK was flagged for a unsportsmanlike conduct. Um, for he, he just you know he's talking some smack to to Ramsey, and uh, they bumped face masks. To me, one of the most fun moments in the game was there's a point where uh, DK goes in motion from the right to the left, and Jalen doesn't follow him, but DK is trying to wave him with him, essentially saying, "I would love to, I would love if he was mic'd up for this game. Wouldn't that be great?" Essentially saying, "Come on, come with me," welcoming it. And, and I think that shows DK's growth. Now, I know I tweeted out during the game when he got the penalty that I, I, you know, I'm a little frustrated he still hasn't learned from those things. But if you think about DK a couple of years ago and how much Jalen got in his head, um, there was one game in particular I'm remembering, I think it was in LA also, where DK kind of took himself out of the game because he was just so intense and he was so frustrated by what Ramsey was doing to him. Not today. DK was a better player. Um, eight catches for 127 yards in that game-winning touchdown. And on that game-winning touchdown, um, we're going to talk about it from Geno's perspective in a second, but that's a that's a really, really difficult ball to catch in a tight window with Jalen Ramsey draped all over you and actually grabbing his, his jersey uh, twice. You could have easily justified defensive holding there. I'm glad the refs let it go. It was the kind of stuff that happens on almost every play, but... I'll just beat him on an inside route. Um, I thought today was a step forward in DK's career and, uh, and, and a really important one for him. Um, and then, you know, the biggest storyline, again, we'll take it all the way full circle. It's Geno Smith. If there are any of you out there who still are skeptical about this guy's ability, his ability to lead and and his status as a, as a quarterback, you can win with. I hope today erased those doubts. 28 out of 39, 72%, right in line with what he what he's done all year. He's been so consistent. 
367 yards passing, three touchdowns, the one interception, 116 passer rating. He has now reached a career high in yardage for a season season in his career. And the thing that I think today says about him, I kept coming back to this word unflappable. I talked with Jackson earlier this week about that. We've seen moments where he, he makes a big mistake, a bad interception or the fumble a couple of weeks ago in the red zone. Every time he's, he's had a play like that, he's responded by putting an outstanding drive together. He just seems to have that memory of a goldfish where no matter what happens on the previous play, he comes back on the next play like, like nothing is wrong. Today that the offensive tackles struggled, those rookie tackles struggled. We saw a little bit of that against, against the Raiders. But that was primarily Max Crosby. But today the Rams are kind of coming at him from a whole bunch of different angles. Lots of stunts. They blitz some. There was one play in particular, one of the sacks on Geno was just flat out 100% Abe Lucas getting beat, which we haven't seen often this, this year. Um, one of them came on kind of a fluky play as well, where they tried an unbalanced line formation where they moved Charles Cross over to the right side next to Lucas and left Damian Lewis all alone on the left side. And the guy facing Lewis easily got to Gino for a sack. So let's never see that formation again. Um, as I tweeted at the time and I'll reiterate here, um, those guys struggled at times in pass protection and yet. A, those guys really rebounded and came together in the fourth quarter. And on, on that game-winning drive, Cross and Lucas were really solid. But Gino just doesn't get rattled. He just doesn't. And things don't stick with him. Um, he's really good, you guys. And, and I think today, if anything, just solidified and confirmed uh, where this team is now, who they are now, yeah, would we have liked to have seen a three-score win against the Rams? Of course. But what they showed in coming back from the injuries, losing their star running back early in the game, that had to mess with the game plan, especially after on his first touch of the game, he runs for 30 yards through a huge hole. It was the, the best run we've seen out of Kenneth Walker in weeks. They lose him early on. They lose Marquise Goodwin for a while. He went out injured. Um, but similar to DJ Dallas, came back, gutted it out later in the game and played hurt. Uh, dealing with some adversity and time and time again, making plays in this game to put themselves in a position to win and put the hands in the, the ball in the hands of their quarterback. And for the first time in his career as a Seahawk got to lead them down the field and, uh, and make good uh, against an elite player, that throw to DK from Gino. If you haven't seen it, seek it out and watch it 10 times, watch it from every angle. That's a throw that 10 guys in the NFL can make. It's maybe a throw that there's only 10 guys in the NFL that would attempt. It's a gutsy, gutsy throw. Wasn't wide open. Had to get it around some linebackers and get it in in front of the best cornerback in the NFL uh, to DK for the winner. Lots of fun. So where does it put the Seahawks now? Uh, seven and five on the season. San Francisco today beats the Miami Dolphins. That's a quality win for San Francisco. 33-17, the final score in that one. So they moved to eight and four, but Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt in this game. Had to leave on a cart with an ankle injury. Don't know the severity yet. 
haven't heard, but he never came back to this game. And his backup rookie, Brock Purdy, I think he was Mr. Irrelevant. I think he was the last player drafted in the last draft. Uh, 25 out of 37, 210 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. Um, I remember the kid from Iowa State. He's mobile, doesn't have a strong arm. He played against the Cougs in a bowl game a few years ago, so I got to see him there. Um, the 49ers may be moving forward for the next who knows how long without Jimmy Garoppolo as their starting quarterback. But they sit at eight and four. The Seahawks right behind him at seven and five. The Rams fall to three and nine. Who would have thought that coming off a Super Bowl win? Next week, the Seahawks host Carolina. And the 49ers host Tampa Bay, potentially without Jimmy Garoppolo. And then the week after that, that big Thursday night matchup at Lumen Field, 49ers against the Seahawks. And with that gutsy win today, the Seahawks put themselves in a position for that game to mean something, not just for the playoffs, but also for the NFC West. Um, as far as the rest of the playoff race goes, the Giants and Commanders tied today. So the New York Giants are 7-4-1. and one. The Commanders are 7-5-1. and one. The Seahawks 7-5. and five. And remember, the Giants play the Eagles two more times. Kind of a quirky schedule there. Um, so in, in, in that sense, and, and in every way, gutsy win by the Seahawks today. Um, yeah, we're going to talk next week and beyond about how that defense is still going to be an issue. It's something they're just going to have to get around and hopefully keep that offense humming well enough and score enough points to, to outscore the defense. Um, that's just going to be an ongoing storyline the rest of the year, at least until we can get to the draft in the offseason. We can fix that. Let's check in on the Denver Broncos, shall we? They lose to the Baltimore Ravens 10-9 to today. Yeah, that's right. No touchdowns for the Broncos. They dropped to 3-9 and on the season, so that, that top draft pick just keeps getting better. Um, Russ only threw for 189 yards today on the season, 59% completions, eight touchdowns, five interceptions, and uh, let's check Twitter for some questions. I know I got one from Michael Thompson today. He was on the show a couple weeks ago. Uh, will Russell Wilson throw as many touchdowns as bathrooms in his house this year? If you haven't been following this, this has been something that's been brewing for a few weeks. And I believe this started with Bronco fans. Uh, Russell Wilson and Sierra, when they moved to Denver, they bought the largest or the most expensive house ever sold in the Denver metropolitan area. And the thing about this house, it has, I can't remember how many bedrooms it has. I think seven or eight, but it has 12 bathrooms. I, I, I won't even allow myself to go on a tangent about why you would need 12 bathrooms. But I remember one of the early jokes I saw was because it only had five or six bath or bedrooms was, Hey, yeah, you guys want to come spend the weekend with us? We'll let you stay in one of our bathrooms. Um, but right now let's see five games left. Russ has eight touchdowns on the season in 12 games. There's five left. He has to get to 12. He's not going to do it. He might tie it, but I don't think he's going to get there. Um, so Russ, Russell Wilson's season from hell continues. Um, let's get some other thoughts on Twitter. Let's check in. Uh, Colby Patnode says, let's, let's show some, some love to DJ Dallas today. And specifically, um, I mentioned that, but specifically he says, um, the first touchdown, big block then. Uh, then he gets hurt badly enough to be labeled doubtful and still finishes a game with Tony Jones. Mad respect. Um, and he really did come up with some some gutsy plays late in this game. Uh, another comment from uh, Rich STI. This game makes me really want two high picks spent on the defensive line, at least one interior, if not both. 
Nice to see DK get the final jab in on Ramsey, indeed. Um, and yeah, I'm with you. As it, we've talked some draft. We talked it with Michael Thompson recently. We're going to talk more draft, obviously, as we get to the end of the season, going to the offseason. Um, I'm with you. I was chatting with someone today on Twitter who said, you know, if we end up with that third pick, you know, they might have a shot at CJ Stroud. They might have a shot at Bryce Young. Do you take that? I don't. I think today pointed out again, they need playmakers and impact players up front. And if I'm sitting at three, I'm really hoping for Jalen Carter. And then I'm looking for an edge guy with, uh, with the 16th, 17th, 18th pick, wherever they end up. Um, <laughs> uh, nice comment uh, on StreamYard, uh, which I used to, to stream from Casey Heron. Just want to give him a little shout out. So anyway, that's going to do it for me. Um, that's my reaction. The Seahawks win 27 to 23 today against the Rams to move to seven and five and stay right smack in the middle, middle of the NFC playoff race. Next week, they play the Carolina Panthers at home. Uh, we'll preview that game later this week. Look for that. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you get notifications of new episodes. Follow me on Twitter at Seahawks Forever. And uh, listen to Dana's episode later this week as well. And read Field Goals. They probably already have three or four reaction pieces up from the game today, written uh, as well as you can find anywhere on the interwebs. So we'll see you soon. Big win for the Seahawks. Go Hawks. I'll talk to you soon.